You are listening to the Maniverse Podcast with your host Tom Traplin. This is session number 142, part 4. Welcome to the Maniverse Podcast. I am your host Tom Traplin and this is the podcast where we explore what it takes to build a successful, friendly local game store. If you like what you hear on today's episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on whatever fine platform you're listening on. And if you're listening to this on YouTube, make sure you hit the like and subscribe button. As always, you can find the notes and links mentioned in today's episode at ManiverseSaga.com. In the final part of my four-part interview with Joshua Pyle Carter, he digs into the future plans for the deck box, with their 10-year anniversary quickly approaching the summer. Josh talks about the balance between online and in-store sales, stressing that each requires a vastly different approach and business model, and why he favors the local-first approach for his community. Overall, this was a really fun interview and a great insight into how Josh built up a massively successful game store by strictly focusing on curating a healthy local ecosystem of clients and, in a way, creating his own market for magic. If you haven't listened to the first three parts of Josh's interview, be sure to check those out. The links will be down in the show notes. And enjoy part four of the deck box. Which, I guess, maybe that's uh, one of the reasons why you don't like the whole online aspect of things. Yeah. Besides the, you know, the market. Uh, online susceptibility, yeah. I guess. So I think the thing with online, the thing that's come back to it for me is that, you know, we don't do online sales. We do have an online store, um, mm. but our online store is for... for pickup only. Pickup only. Delivery within... Yeah. Um, and so when we were, so one of the things that I found about cards is that cards are an ecosystem and that, you know, if you've got a local market for cards, so if you come to me and say, Hey man, you know, I'd really like to pick up this card. You know, I get paid in like two weeks and I go, yeah, cool. I can hold it aside for you. Or I can wait or I can keep an eye on it. Um, cause I know that you're going to come back and pick it up. It's that sort of client versus customer thing. Mm-hmm. Um, versus if I have an online store. I can't silo that card. So if someone you know, orders it from Vancouver or Texas, um, they pay their money, we ship it out to them. You come back in two weeks and say, hey man, I got paid, you know, I'd like that thing. I'm like, well, it's gone. Like, you know, somebody ordered it online, you know, yeah. it's, you know, it's, it's Spanish. That, that client will all of a sudden go, well, you know, that kind of sucks. I was like, I was excited for it. I, I, I planned for it, you know, and now it's not there. I guess I'll go online and order it because, you know, I can't get it from my local guy, which just starts a cycle of basically if you're taking those cards out me, if I sell a card to somebody in Texas, you know, when they go to sell that card, when they're done with it, they're not selling it back to me. They're not shipping it back yeah. to me in Canada. They're not like doing an online trade. It's now in the Texas ecosystem. Yeah, it's in the, now in the Texas ecosystem it, or it goes to like some of the bigger players that are out there that you know, buy cards or it would go to like a Grand Prix when those were a thing. You know, <laughs> yeah. and the challenge is that, you know, if you are constantly taking cards from your local ecosystem and sending them out into the ether, you run out of the cards to support your local play. And when you do that, people come in, want to support you, want to shop with you, but you don't have what they're looking for. They go online and sort of self-perpetuate. So we buy, if you trade into us, we buy everything, you know, like high end bulk, you know, we buy it all. Um, And my approach has always been that I don't know what my clients are going to want. So I'm just going to try to have all of it. So if you come in, you know, why do I have, you know, 47 polluted deltas from cons? Because someone wanted to sell them to me and I don't know how many I'll need at some point. You know, there's definitely the argument of saying, well, anything past like the 13th or the 20th is probably something you're never going to sell. Yes, totally true. Um, But I want to keep those cards in a local ecosystem because if I don't and they wander off somewhere else, 
you know, and there's a run on it or it's something that gets super popular, mm. there's a chance that I'll never see those cards again. You know, if I sell them off to, you know, somewhere, you know, outside of our market, you know, they may just never wander their way back, you know, and it's something where, you know, to be able to support community, be able to support play, you need to have cards in your ecosystem for the decks that people want to play. And if you don't mm -hmm. have that, it becomes really hard to build that up. And once you sort of like start offloading it, it becomes a real challenge to kind of keep it healthy. So a lot of what I've seen, you know, for some stores that haven't made it, you know, is that yeah. if you're going to do online single sales, you need to be, I would argue you need to be willing to spend and buy in the way that some of the bigger players do. So things like star city or face or channel fireball back when they existed, um, you know, it's stuff where like you need to be buying and selling at bigger events. You need to be having automated buy lists. You need to treat it as a strictly, you know, commercial transaction and do your buying accordingly. If you're going to do the online space yep. to be effective at it, because otherwise all you're going to do is you're going to take your cards from your local market, ship them out somewhere else. Um, and if you're not replenishing that stock, you're just going to run out of inventory in the long run. So there's been stores that, you know, I've gone to where they've tried to do the online sales at the relatively smaller store and all they've succeeded in doing is sort of saying, well, I can't service the customers I have in person because they don't have the stock. So I need to sell the things I can sell to the online people, which means I just don't have the stock from an in-store person when he comes back in a couple of weeks. So it's a, you, you just kind of grind yourself down. And then, you know, there's another asterisk of it is like, I hate shipping stuff. You know, it's something where like, I don't, yeah. I hate answering emails. Like, you know, if I have to have more than two or three email transactions or something, I'm just completely over it. <laughs> so it's something where, you know, like, you know, someone going, well, I want this thing and that thing, and this doesn't look, wasn't right, right, right. The benefit of in-person is that if you are someone who is like, the stuff we sell is in near mint condition by and large, some of it is slight play, anything less than that, we weed out in the buying process. Um, but if you're someone who's very particular about how your card looks. Mm -hmm. um, the benefit of in-person versus online is that if I send you, you know, you know, if you come in person and say, you know, you pulled this card for me, it's not quite condition-wise what I'm looking for. Um, you know, I have 12 others. You pick the one that's best for you. If none of them are, that's okay, man. Like, you know, you, you, you know I didn't meet your expectations. You know, that's okay. Um, whereas if I ship that out to you, you know, all of a sudden now it's like, oh, well, it showed up and like, now I got to ship it back. I got to ship like it back. It, if I don't like it. Or like, you know, maybe I, maybe I'm like willing to take it, but I'm not happy because I, I, you know, I wanted to pay, I paid near mint prices for something I think is not near mint, you know, and just going through that process is, you know, you know, you know, even if someone doesn't bring it up to you, it'll still be in their mind, right? It didn't meet expectations. Whereas if you're in person, we can fix that. You know, Hey, Hey, this didn't work. This wasn't what I thought it was. No worries, man. We'll swap it or refund it. No big deal. Like, yeah. you know, it's just, you know, you know, you know, or it's like, you know, oh, the wrong card was pulled. Oh, no worries. Just like, you know, bring it back in. We'll switch her out. Sorry about that. Um, or things like, you know, something as simple as, oh my gosh, like the, the benefit of also that. And when you keep it all in your local ecosystem is that you can also be, when it comes to condition, you can be a little more forgiving when it comes to trade-ins. So when it comes to mm -hmm. trade-ins, if you're dealing with someone like face or, you know, any of the bigger buyers like card kingdom, you know, the benefit, the, the downside of trading into someone there is that they need to care about condition because while we have the yeah. ability to sort of say, Hey man, in person, you didn't like it. Here's a different one. Swap you out. When somebody like card kingdom is buying stuff, they need to care if it's near mint, if it's slight play, if it's play, it's, very you know, it's very specific, which means if you send off your cards to them, you know, there's a very good chance that they'll look at your cards and go, this isn't all near mint, you know, and we, and they need to price it accordingly because, you know, they are not, they're selling near mint things at near mint prices, you know, and they're selling SP and SP prices and all that way through, which means they need to care. 
if you bring me in a stack of stuff and I look and go, well, you know, that cons fetch has a little bit of a ding in the bottom of it. Nothing major. Like if you squinted, you see it, but it's not like, mm -hmm. you know, it's not like a big splot just on the front of it. Yeah. You know, it's something where I can look at that and say, yeah, cool. That's good enough for what we're selling. Because if someone's particular about it, they just won't pick that one. You know, whereas, you know, if I'm selling digitally, I need to care. And yeah. all of a sudden I need to like needle you and be like, Hey man, I know I've got this card for 40 bucks, but this one's like slight play. So I'm going to sell it for like 30. So I'm going to give you 15 instead of 20. Like it becomes a whole, you know, it feels bad on your client interaction side where they go, well, I bought these cards, you know, you know, and you know, yes, I bought them from you and yes, I played them, you know, but now you're telling me they are worth less than what I yeah. thought they would be. You know, you just don't want to get into that cycle. Right. Cause it makes someone feel like you're, trying to get advantage or value out of them when in reality, what you're trying to do is sort of just be, you know, accurate for the next customer down the line, you know? So it's something mm -hmm. where it's like, if, you know, if something is in like, you know, a lesser condition than what you would expect it to be, you know, it's something where like, we will account for that. We'll basically say, okay, well, you know, this is close enough, you know, or if this one's so badly mangled that we need to like put in a separate category of like yeah. actual plate or damage, we'll let you know for that. But if it's like near mint to slight play, it kind of all flows in that range. Um, which is something that you can't do when you're doing online sales because, yep. you know, you know, near mint versus SP will matter a lot in those experiences. Whereas with yep. us, we don't put that label on our stuff. My expectation is the stuff that we sell, you will, you know, be near mint occasionally SP. And if it's anything less than that, we missed it in the weeding out process and we'll get rid of it. So that's where the, the dollar bin ends up, but it's that sort of stuff where if you do the online, the benefit is that you have reach and access to all these people but you have reaching access to a lot of customers and you have no access and you're just servicing your clients and the experience because you're not able to make those connections and make those sort of like, you know, those little minutia details of like, you know, all right, well, you know, this thing isn't quite what you wanted. We'll adjust it and fix it. You know, I can't do that on a customer digital basis because it's just not possible. Yeah. Yeah. So selling online, kind of forces you to take a different approach to selling in person as well. Yeah, it has And then you also effects. have to balance it. Yeah. You know, you have to balance it with the input, right? Because yeah. you can't just open up the market and sell all your stuff and then have nothing to sell, right? Yeah. You need to be able to re replenish somehow. Yeah. You have to, it's, so it's not as easy as just saying that we're going to have <coughs> an, on, an online store where we ship it to wherever and we have an in-person store where we do something different. The challenge is that if you're going to do online, I think it needs to be a conscious choice with a plan of how you build out around it. So if you yeah. want to do online single sales, you need to acknowledge that you are forever going to be chasing the cheapest possible option. Cause that's what people are shopping for you for, you know, they may shop you for selection. They may shop you for reliability that you're not going to mess up their order or shortchange them, yeah. but that's a pretty low bar for most tra transactions. Whereas, you know, when you get up to the, like the really big levels of it, you need to have the volume, you need to have the money to spend on it and you need to have the ability to sort of, you know, chug through it. And also as far as the store operations go, you need to have your inventory laid out in a way that's accessible and easy to fill online processing. So like, yeah, we could do a more wider open to like online sales in our current store, but that would mean that there would be someone constantly pulling cards like down in our point. Like a warehouse yeah, operation. Yeah. Uh, and we would have to move it to a different location because all of a sudden you don't need front facing retail anymore for that. You just need cheapest square footage possible. And like, pickers. And, yeah, and pickers. And yeah. that's what you do, right? Like that's a, it's a totally viable model, but it's definitely a very different model from your, L, your LGS. And mm -hmm. if you're doing that model, you need to be aware of what it costs you to do, like in terms of the yeah. experience. It's interesting. Yeah. Though. I'm just, I was curious as to like why that difference. And I think 
you know, that comes up in the conversation. Yeah. It's, I'd say the, the difference is that, you know, or why the lack of online is I think that online can be a really good business model if you're looking to get a lot of client and a lot of customers. I think it is a model that if you're going to do it that way, you know, it's a disservice to your in-store experience clients and we want to prioritize that. You know, and I think that part of it, the trade-off for us is that the in-store experience is a more beneficial one. You know, we get a higher margin on in-store experience, you know, because we're able to charge, you know, prices that make sense for what we're doing, you know, that are based on our local market conditions. Um, you know, and it's something where it also makes it so that, you know, and the biggest sort of thing is like that example of, you know, guy saying, hey, I get paid in two weeks, can you hold it? You know, is a big part of our experience, right? You know, like, mm -hmm. you know, not everyone has cash available all of the time. You know, not everyone who Especially is now. Yeah, <laughs> who's sort of like your regular loyal clients, like, you know, none of those, not everybody can sort of just drop, you know, 200 bucks on a win. Like a new Warhammer model comes out and go, well, you know, I'm going to have to plan for that. I got to save up for it. And if you're always prioritizing the person who has money somewhere out there, you know, that person who's your, your client, who's your, you know, who's your regular, you know, is going to feel like they don't matter because, you know, you just sold it to whoever had the money first. You know, and there's something to be said for, you know, having that, you know, sort of experience with someone goes, you know, so we've had a couple of, you know, there's one guy that I think of when I think of this stuff where it's, you know, he's gone through ups and downs in his life where he is like bought and sold out of magic kind of repeatedly, you know, and it's stuff where, you know, when he's come back in, we've always figured out how to get him his stuff back together. You know, like we've always sort of like, you know, you know, or we said, hey, man, like, you know this this part of what you're selling you know is only going to be like 20 bucks in trade but we'll serve as the core of your deck when you come back in for it you know so like it's something like you know if you're always just selling online you sort of lose that ability to cater to those client experiences and really sort of you know have someone come back and want to stick with you but no it's i think that the online is a really it's a really powerful option but i think if you're going to do it I think that it doesn't make sense to have a front-facing op like this outside of just having someone at a desk where they come and pick up their stuff and they kind of go. So, like, if you've, you know, I'm sure you've been to the face-to-face -face locations, mm -hmm. um, a lot of their locations kind of feel that way, is that they are, you know, they have some set dressing for sort of, like, you know, you know some, some nice staff and some stuff on this table, but, like, they're really there to fill their warehouse operation, which is their whole business model, right? You know, they want to yeah. have you come and pick up your order in and out if you've got trades you know, come in or book an appointment and it'll get you in and gone. But like their, their main function is that they, you know, they are here to warehouse pull lists for you, you know, and they will get them to you in a timely and efficient manner. It's like, you know, it's like, it's very much a, this a sort different of, value proposition. Yeah. It's the, it's sort of like they're, they're taking the approach to use a restaurant analogy of, you know, they're, they're doing the McDonald's thing. They're giving you what you asked for, yeah. you know, and it is going to be efficient. It's going to be exactly what you expect it to be because mm -hmm. that's just, their model and that model is really good, you know, but it's not going to give you that sort of intimacy of like, you know, I went to a nice restaurant, you know, I had a great experience, you know, like the server talked to me, you yeah. know, like I, I felt like I, I felt like I had an experience versus just getting a hamburger. Like it's, you know, yeah. it's, it's the difference of, you know, that sort of in-store experience versus the online. And I think that they are very sharp contrast because they require different things from your back end. So if you're going to do that yep. in-store experience, you know, you need to have time to chat. You need to have time to like, you know, you know, go back and forth. Whereas if you have the, you know, if you have the, the, the McDonald's model, you know, you just need to be operationally efficient. You know, it, yeah. it works a certain way because that's the only way you can handle that kind of volume. Cause like, you know, while I said, you know, we have a hundred transactions a day face has thousands, thousands, right. You know, and there's no way to sort of do that. So sort of like, 
oh well, you know, Buddy wants this held for him for two weeks because he's like, not at that scale. Like, not at that scale. You can't do that. You, you can't make those car routes an exception. So yeah. it's part of like the online versus in store. I think they are. You know, I think you can definitely merge them. I think if you're a smaller operation, you can definitely make that work. And some bigger operations make it work well too. But I think that they are not as compatible as they would need to be for us to want to incorporate them. But again, we, we prioritize really heavily the, the in-store experience. So that clouds my judgment on what I think is, you know. Sure. And it depends what you want to do with, like, as the owner, it depends what you want to do with your business, right? It's... Hey there, tabletop game store owners. Are you looking to level up your digital marketing game and boost your store's growth to new heights? We specialize in helping tabletop game stores just like yours dominate the digital landscape. With our cutting-edge strategies, expert insights, and tailored solutions, we'll unlock the true potential of your store's online presence and skyrocket your sales. And here is the best part. We're offering a free strategy call for game store owners that are serious about growing their business. That's right. Sign up now for a complimentary consultation and let us show you how we can transform your store's marketing game. Don't miss out on this incredible journey to level up your digital marketing and drive your store's growth to new heights. Head over to our website at maniversesaga.com forward slash MMA to register for your free strategy call today. It's time to dominate the digital marketing arena and achieve success for your tabletop game store. So what are you waiting for? Book your call now and let's make your store the ultimate gaming destination. What do you want your life to be like day to day? Yeah. And for some, it's My like, life is I, not answering <laughs> yeah. And for you, it's like, you want to be here. You want to have those conversations. That's yeah. what makes you happy. That's the part that fulfills you by being the owner. But yeah. for others, it might be like, well, you know, I like that. I like having the store and I like being able to enjoy my hobbies or, yeah. you know, and share the passions that got me into this business in the first place. But I also want to spend time doing other things as well. So yeah. not being the face or not having those conversations might not be as high of a priority. Oh, yeah. And for them, you know, go ahead. Yeah. Like, set up all those systems to sell online. Like if you want to compete with face or you want to do something along those lines and that's the goal. Oh, I have no, I have no, actually, I have no ambition for any of that. <laughs> I look at them go like at some days, I look at this, man, this has got like really big in this. Like I'm, I'm like, I'm not sure if it's like got too big for me yet, but we'll see. But it's something where like the, you know, we've had a couple of approaches for different things like that. And the answer has been like, you know, you know, on a practical level, I, I don't want a whole lot. You know, I want to like, you know, be able to do the things I'm interested in. I like to be able to spend time with you know my partner, and I that's about it. I'm not like super you know commercially driven. Like you know if, if we make you know more money versus less this year, cool. Eh, you know it's it's just something where like you know we'll do what we did this year, which is like all of our staff got bonuses this year and raises. So like sure, like you know it, I you know I'm not looking to you know as much as I have hoarded stuff, I'm not looking to be a dragon. <laughs> <laughs> I love the free market capitalism business. All that stuff is a thing I'm, I'm very happy about. I like that a lot. But there's definitely like some downsides to the, you know, uh, I got to grow and have profit all the time, every time. And it's always got to get bigger. And like, I think that, that leads to some problems. Yeah, and I, I think, think having the satisfaction that you're saying like, okay, we got to this point. I'm happy. Employees are happy. I can pay my people. Clients are happy. Yeah. What's wrong with that? Nothing, nothing. And I think that the the challenge sometimes that is that, you know, it's a, you know, it's always easy to sort of like want to push for more. You want to say that if I have more, I will be happy. Um, yeah. And there's definitely a level at which like people need more to be to meet their, their needs. Um, but at a certain level, you have to look and go, well, you know, like, I don't need a BMW. You know, I drive yeah. like I drive like a shitty ten year old Yaris and it's, <laughs> I'll drive until it dies. Like, you know, you know, because it's not something that's important to me.
you know, but what is important is, you know, making sure that, you know, my staff are able to be able to live a life to do what they want to do, that they have a life outside of this, that it's not that they're coming to work every day and they're feeling like they're not getting by, you know, it's something where, you know, I don't see it as a, you know, I don't see it as a, I need to acquire more stuff. I see it as, you know, a, you know, what can I do with the resources that I've been able to get, you know, like, and if that means I can make other people's lives better, I'll do that. Cause that's, you know, you know, I'm not really a stuff motivated person, you know, <laughs> contrary to what our branding says, <laughs> I do like things, but like, it's, it's not a defining feature. <laughs> well, those things facilitate the yeah. in-person experience. Oh, exactly that's that. the connection point. That's yeah. the, that's the thing that you really like. Yeah. I, I like being able to meet people's demands and sort of like, you know, get them what they're looking for and the, the having the things leads to that part of it. So, you know, people ask me what I'm gonna do with all my stuff. It's like, the answer is, I don't know, but maybe someone wants it someday. And it'll be organized and you know accessible. And if they want it, it's here for them. And if they if no one ever needs it, that's okay too. So what's coming for 2024? Oh, 2024. So 2024 will be our 10 year anniversary in August of the deck box specifically. Um, and the plan this year is we are returning to like our full slate of events. So we've got uh, we did prior to COVID something called uh, the deck box masters, which is basically a uh, monthly event where we do sort of like a small buy-in, so it's ten bucks, but with a big guaranteed prize. Use pool, use like three hundred dollars, and like credit kind of cut a different cut a couple different ways. That scales up based on attendance. So basically, the more people we get, we hit like enough twenty, we do another prize tier bump up. We hit thirty, another prize tier bump up, um, and that's something where we haven't done that in a while, um, and I'm excited to go back to it. But we've also booked out our command fest stuff, which should be super fun. A uh, bunch of like Warhammer events. Um, but yeah, basically this year will be a year of, you know, we've been doing this for almost a decade you know, here. And what we're looking to do this year is just to sort of like finalize all the learnings that I've done over the last like 10 years, which is, you know, you know, I've, you know, in the process of, you know, talking with our clients and sort of trying different things, you know, there's a lot of things that we do that are sort of, you know, that are kind of like, you know, best practices for us that we could be doing a little better. And it's more of this year is going to be about, you know, being the best where we can be sort of setting it to a level of expectation of, you know, this is how we'll operate and just going forward from there. So a lot of like what we're doing is a mix of more events and more promotion of the things that we're doing and more outreach. So more things where we're going to sort of spotlight our community. So we're doing this expansion, but and mm -hmm. part of it is to sort of be able to do more content creation stuff where we can feature folks from our community who are excited to play games and sort of show people that, you know, this is a lot of fun and, you know, wherever you play, you know, however you engage with it, you know, this is something where, you know, you should be included and feel that you know, this is a fun thing that you want to do. Um, so we're doing it in my, my marketing person absolutely hates me for this. Um, but <laughs> the, uh, the plan is that we're doing our content creation stuff on YouTube and Instagram and all that. And the point of it is just to turn, you know, as the point of it, none of it's going to be monetized. <laughs> in case it when I say this, um, but the point, the one of the main reasons we want to is that you know we're in a fortunate position of our day to day operations pays for something like this, mm -hmm. um, you know, and the benefit of you know being able to make our own content that's not dependent on you know having to push a narrative or having to sort of like talk about you know things that make someone angry so they click on it, yeah. you know, is something where like you know, I'm a very positive person when it comes to a lot of these games because like you know you'll see a lot of content online that goes most broken deck thing ever you've ever seen. You know, this is like something destroying the game. You know, when's it all going to end in a dumpster fire? Um, I've been around for this for 20 plus years, you know, and people have been saying that for a very long time. 
and I have yet to see that occur. <laughs> you know, everyone always predicts the apocalypse, but you know, yeah. hasn't shown up How many up times yet. has magic died? <laughs> a lot, a lot. You know, a lot. <laughs> um, but I would say that the the benefit of doing your own stuff is that you know we're just going to be the same people that you see in store, same sort of thing online. You know, like you know, if I'm telling you about something, it's because I'm excited about it. If I'm not excited about it, you know, I'm probably going to skip it. You know, and if it's something where you know we can do something fun and cool and creative, we'll do that. You know, and if it's something where we can't, we'll just leave it. Cool. Got anything planned for your anniversary? Oh, I'm supposed to. But I haven't figured it out yet. Of all the things you could do, like the 10-year anniversary is like, a, that's a thing to it's celebrate, a big right? One. I think we have a Command Fest planned for that weekend, uh, which is kind of one of our really fun projects we've done. And if, um, and if there are actually, if there's a store owner watching it that hasn't seen it, I say of all the things to look at, uh, Command Fest is one of our most popular things we've done in the last couple of years. <laughs> um, but yeah, as far as like Command Fest is, for those of you who haven't seen it before, it's basically a event where we do four rounds of play. Uh, each round is like an hour and 20 minutes long. Um, and everyone who shows up gets a swag bag with a bunch of stuff in it. Um, and one of the things is a bingo sheet. And basically, as you fill out the bingo sheet, uh, you win prizes. Um, and all the bingo sheet stuff is kind of based around in-game mechanics where you're not actively trying to win. So it's things like, you know, save an opponent from dying, do something super, like, complicated. And it's very much designed to sort of let you play as, like, a, you know, it's a casual competitive play experience where the goal is to check off the things that you can and help the other guys out while you're doing it. So it's something where we do that. We do, we did, we started that in 2022. We did our first one. And um, we did two last year. And I think the plan is to do another two this year. And historically, we got 130 players at the last one. So it's, it's a really great way to build community and really great way to do an event with, you know, kind of like stakes and prizes, but keep it super casual. So people kind of engage on their own level and don't have to sort of like feel like that they got to build like the most tuned competitive mm -hmm. deck they possibly can. It resonates perfectly with the commander. Oh, ethos, yeah. Right. Like, it's for most fun. part, commander players are not looking to not generally looking to like, I want to win the game immediately. It's more of like, well, let's just have a good time. Yeah, let's and, let's and do some stuff. Do some weird, like, weird things. So we have one of the achievements is, um, you know, attack with all of your creatures into an opponent that's not tapped out, you know, and just mm. yell Leroy. Let's do this. Leroy Dragons! Oh my god, he just ran in. <laughs> so that's, like, that's one of the check marks, and it's like, you know, so you just got to hear that every so often when we're during the command fest. But no, so it's a lot I haven't heard that meme in a while. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, that's how you know I'm old. <laughs> but no, yeah, it's been something where this year is a year of just kind of, you know, going a bit back to basics, so, you know, and and kind of like building more into our event scene again now that we're well and truly kind of able to do that. And no, it's been good. Cool. Almost at the two-hour mark, so this yeah. has been great. But sure. I want to ask, sure. is one of like the closing questions, is uh, going into 2024, what do you think is the most important thing for store owners to be thinking about right now? I'd say in 2024, the biggest thing that I would say is that when it comes to how you run your store is you really need to know what will make you profitable and successful in terms of dollars and cents. So all of the things I talk about, all the things about community and all the things about how you build up clients is very true and it's very heartfelt. The, the underlying of all that, though, as I talked earlier about that, you know, you need to have the community building and you need to have the retail. You know, so if you're if your retail proposition is not set up to actually be successful for you, you know, if you're not able to sort of like, you know, demand, get the margin that you need to kind of make all these things possible. Cause you know, 
Command Fest is super fun. It costs us thousands of dollars to run a Command Fest because we book up the hotel, we give away a lot of prizes, and it's something that that's only possible to do that kind of a spend because we've been that profitable through the run of the year to justify it. So we charge an entry fee for Command Fest. It doesn't cost cover the per person headcount for it, but it's something where like that's a way we give back to our community because we've been profitable year round. So like you know one of the biggest things that people feel incentivized to do as a retailer is to cut prices and sort of like operate on a lesser margin. Mm -hmm. And every time you do that, you make it harder for yourself to succeed. And I, and having run a store in a small environment, I get that pressure. You know, I get that pressure to want to be price competitive with online, with like wanting to be competitive with the guy down the street, you know, but the reality of it is it's, it's the basic math part of it, right? If I'm selling a box for 180 bucks and the guy down the street is selling it for 120 bucks, you know, he's going to sell more boxes than I am. But I am, I need to sell that box at the margin that makes sense because otherwise I can't justify the other stuff. So like, you know, it also means that your ordering is a lot easier because you're not, if you're the guy who's selling boxes for hundred bucks, you're going to sell through like a hundred boxes, but like, you've got to take the hit on that if it doesn't sell. So if it comes yeah. in, the set is bad or you just misjudge the market. You have very little wiggle room to correct from that. Whereas if you're like, well, I'm going to bring in a modest amount of boxes. I'm going to sell through them, whether it's packs or as sealed boxes because someone likes me, wants to support me, or maybe they got trade credit with me. So it's cheaper and they want to buy it there for whatever reason. That margin is a healthy margin that allows you to survive. Whereas another, you know, cutting prices to a minimal margin is we are a niche business. You know, you know, niche businesses really don't survive on margins that are as low as some people would like to put them to. Um, and if the people who are telling you your margin needs to be this because I want to be able to buy a box for 120 bucks, you know, that's getting back to that range of might be a client, probably a customer, yeah. you know, which is something where, you know, that little difference and that's sort of being able to stick to your price point and know what you need to do. So it's kind of like make that number make sense for you, you know, is really important because otherwise, you know, you know, for if someone's, so if a box is 110 bucks and he's selling it for 120, he's making 10 bucks on that box, which means he needs to sell seven boxes, eight boxes to sort of, you know, make the amount of profit that you sell on a box. It's more effort and more work, you know, for maybe the same amount of money, if not less. So you need yeah. to start, you know, you, you need to acknowledge that you are a niche business. No one needs my product. Like no one, no one needs magic cards. No one needs Warhammer. They really like these things and enjoy them, but in terms of like a, if you need to buy like, you know, necessities, you know, this is the thing that gets cut, you know? Yeah. So, you know, cutting yourself to the bone on the margin makes sense when you're dealing with necessities. Cause you know, everyone's needs milk. Everyone needs, you know, you know, yeah, everyone needs the basics of life. You need to be competitive on there with a niche mark product. You know, if someone's, you know, not willing to buy at a price point that makes sense for your business model, you know, your business model doesn't work at that point. Cause like if, if you're, if you're saying, well, I need to compete with, you know, face or I need to compete with, you know, whoever for like the cheapest Amazon for the cheapest possible box, you can't compete with that level of scale. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. You know, the, and the, even if you could compete on the price point, they have such a bigger selling apparatus than a bigger reach that someone's not going to know about you. You know, so if you're going to say, okay, well, you know, I'm as cheap as Amazon, but Amazon's going to get way more sales because Amazon can directly market to all of its existing customers. You know, whereas you've only got you know whoever kind of comes to your stores and your ecosystem. And if they're already doing that, they're probably not necessarily a super big Amazon customer to begin with. So I'd say, biggest thing I could say is you know, 
all of the things that you see those, you know, for store owners, all the things that you see those built is built on the basis of, you know, client appreciation and understanding and growing our community, but also have a, having a firm grasp of, you know, what a kind of a margin I need to make to be able to make that happen. So, you know, you know, yes, we could run sales. Yes, we could run discounts. Yes, we could do all these things to generate more sales and be more price competitive, but that doesn't work with our approach as being, you know, a, a higher end niche experience, you know, and either someone appreciates that or they don't. And, you know, our model has proven that people do appreciate that. I think it's a great, uh, a great closing optimistic thought. I, like, I, try. <laughs> I, yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. I like the advocating for people to charge what they're worth. It's hard, right? It's, oh, it's uh, definitely cause there's hard. so much pressure from customers. Oh, there's pressures from clients. Most the of the maximum value out of you as much as they can get. Oh, totally. And it's and again, I, I don't take it as an adversarial thing. Is you know, if someone you know, if someone wants the best possible deal, I that's totally okay. Like I have no judgment about that. You know, if someone wants to price shop, all I'm saying is that you know, for this model to work, how we built it, you know, this is you're right. This is what it's worth to me. And if it's not worth that to you. That's okay. You know, you know, it's something where you're like, you know, we're not a fit and it's kind of like dating. If it doesn't work out, if we're incompatible, okay. I'd rather know that from the beginning and just go, yeah, you're a really cool person, you know, and you know, but we just, we just don't click in that way. That's okay. Like, you know, there, there's other people out there. There's a couple billion people around you. Like you will find someone who clicks for you. Um, and that's how we've kind of built our stuff. So it's something where the, there's a lot of pressure to want to like do the price point thing, but you know, price is not a competitive advantage. Price is a, mm -hmm. a thing that anyone who's willing to can go down to it. So if we wanted to create our box sales for our local market, we could go down to doing 120 bucks a box. Like, yeah. you know, I could lose, you know, I could sell it under cost for 10 bucks a box all day long and probably not care, but like, that's not a healthy way to treat your market. It's not a healthy way to treat your hobby, you know, and it's something where, you know, just because you can do it doesn't mean that you should. And I, I think the idea of, of thinking about the experience that you offer, not necessarily as good or bad or better or worse than other experiences, yeah. just different, yeah. right? You're the steakhouse. Yeah. That not everyone's going to want to go come to a steakhouse. Oh, yeah. We, we Sometimes have, we, people want to go to McDonald's and that's okay. We have, we have people who have come in and told us like point blank. They're like, yeah, 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 you know, like you're a little too fancy for me. I don't feel comfortable. It's like, you know, I would always like, <laughs> some, I would always want someone to feel comfortable with us, but I totally get that some people want that traditional, you know, old style game store model. Um, I get it. Like, that's what I grew up in. Like, you know, places that were like a little, little dusty, little dingy, like little, yeah. like you, you wouldn't really want your mom to stick around after they you know, dropped you off. Like, you know, I, I get it, you know, but you know, <laughs> we're not that. And I understand that, you know, as, as, as a preference choice. Right. And it's something where, you know, not everyone will see the value in what we offer and that's okay. You know, there, there, there is, you know, other places, other stores that, you know, will, will be a better home for them that they'll, they'll feel more comfortable at. And I encourage people to do that sort of stuff. Absolutely. All right. Do you have any closing thoughts for anyone who's listening right now? Anything you want to say to them? Uh, I'd say the biggest takeaway is if you took nothing from this is that community is a really big part of what we do. The community is, it's how we got to where we are. You know, you know, it is, it's all well and good to say that we have all of these cool things and all of the stuff and all these like neat accomplishments we've done. None of that happens without our clients and none of it happens without the communities that we've built along. Um, you know, and I'm always just very appreciative of just having the chance to have done that. You know, it's something where, you know, I get to live a life where I'm surrounded by things that I really enjoy 
uh, and I get to help other people find the joy in the things that they're excited about. And that's something where, you know, you know, a lot of people come to these sort of hobbies as a way to escape from the things that are going on in their life. And mm -hmm. some of it's just that they enjoy doing it and it adds value and, and nuance to it. And it's something where that's something I'm really happy to be involved in. You know, it's something where, you know, we are a retail store with a events operation, um, but it's something where you know, people are here to have a good time and we will do what it takes to sort of, you know, make sure that happens. And I'm just glad to be able to do it. All right. That is it for today's episode of the Maniverse podcast. Do not forget to hit the subscribe button so you stay up to date whenever we upload. And if you like what you hear, we'd also appreciate a quick five-star review on iTunes. Thanks again for listening to today's show. And thanks to Josh for giving us his time and his wisdom and his energy and his insights. I'm Tom Traplin. I've been your host. And I will talk to you again in the next episode of the Maniverse Podcast. Podcast.